and the wholesale here, uh, of course, like other places in the country, was uh, basically down to zero as other restaurants that we were supplying to um, completely closed and then tentatively started up again and trying to reconfigure perhaps their menu to, to work out kinks of what made more sense for a COVID world. Welcome to today's Future Foodcast. I'm Jim Mason, um, along with Sachin Sharma. And the two of us work for Future Foodcast, where we uh, bring thought leaders today in today's food industry um, to discuss the trends and the technologies that are shaping the future of food. And so that's our focus. We want to really identify um, what is current today, uh, state of the art, and where is food uh, headed in the food supply chain, one end to the other. And so today, I'm lucky to be speaking with Jessica Cahey from uh, Sweet Freedom Cheese in Bentonville, Arkansas. So Jessica, how are you today? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> hanging in there. Well, that's great. <laughs> and yeah. not all of us are able to do that that well. So, um, but thank you for coming to our foodcast today. We really appreciate it. Oh yeah. So um, it, maybe you can give us a little bit of background about your company. I understand that you founded it. Yes, I did. Uh, I'm the, the sole founder and owner of Sweet Freedom Cheese. Uh, we opened here at the 8th Street Market in Bentonville, Arkansas in the fall of 2018 after much planning, um, many, many years of research and trips and lots of cheese eating and lots of uh, book reading and exam taking and such until uh, finally we found the right location. and. Um, here we are. So 2018 till today. And of course, we've shifted as many small businesses do um, with lots of the offerings that we have that we didn't really think we were going to begin with. Um, and we, again, were the first cut to order shop in Arkansas. And so, so that was kind of fun. Um, really educating our customers and our consumers about what that meant and about fine artisanal cheeses in, in this area. So, well, tell me a little bit. So, and what, what year was that? Was it 2015, 2016? Uh, 2018 is when 2018 we actually opened officially opened this uh, at this location. Yeah. So since it was a new company in a new location where in a sense you didn't exist before. Um, so nobody really knew about the business to start with. How did you first, in a sense, you opened up the doors. How did customers find you? Sure. So uh, many ways. Uh, I actually founded the company in 2013, uh, established the S Corp. And in those days, uh, I really had the dream of being a cheesemaker. And so we were initially Sweet Freedom Creamery. And the dream was alive to make cheese in Arkansas and was really motivated to, to make that happen. Um, however, that dream changed into Sweet Freedom Cheese as a retailer. Um, kind of in between years, we did amass a lot of followers. We did a lot of classes um, about cheese making and which we currently still do. Uh, so my heart is really in that teaching, teaching people about the science behind cheese making and that they can do those sort of simple cheeses at home as well. Um, and really kind of create a lot of appreciation for the the artisans that are doing such hard work <laughs> creating this this delicious food and staple. Um, and so we did amass a lot of followers um, in that. They were very eager for us to finally get open so they could eat the cheese after <laughs> listening to me talk about it for years and years. But uh, for all the other folks who didn't know, we, we certainly use social media as a big platform. Um, really everything we could throw against the wall. I think a lot of 
uh, word of mouth, which really continues to happen for us, um, just fantastic and reviews and recommendations and such online. Um, but I really think social media and, and you know, presence of uh, our, our, especially on Facebook initially, and now that's kind of shifted to Instagram, um, really, really assisted in getting the word out that we even existed and that we were having a grand opening. And when we did, we, we opened on a Friday kind of e evening. We were only open four hours that night and we had a line out the door for the entire four hours. It was, I think, a great shock uh, to all of us that that many people showed up and really were interested in what was happening and, and what we had to offer. Well, that's great. So it sounds like social media was a big part of getting, I'll call it the initial traffic in, in the business. And then at this point, I assume it's still an important part of trying to, in a sense, reach out and expand contacts and so on. Yes, yeah, it, it continues to be part part of, uh, yeah, how we're reaching out to people, um, educating them about cheeses, uh, you know, new and old and, and lots of other fun things that are happening with us and at the store. Um, but, but certainly we use other methods as well. Uh, we, we tend to use a little bit less of just kind of traditional paid marketing. Um, so we right. don't don't really advertise in newspapers or uh, on TV. We, you know, we tend to do a bit more in-person events or um, virtual events as well. Um, and a, a little bit more, you know, one-on-one -on -one contact with consumers as well. So I think, I think that word of mouth kind of continues to really benefit us. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, you know, I guess my personal experience relating to something like that was uh, many years ago, my parents used to hold an annual uh, sort of a cocktail party and invite the whole neighborhood over kind of a deal. And when they did that, I always had the assignment of going out and getting all the cheese for the party. So my girlfriend and I would go out and scout all these little shops just like yours. And we'd come back with ridiculous amounts of cheese because my father would accidentally give us his credit card. And so we just blew through a lot of it. But you could see at the party that all the guests were like, wow, when they get in a sense, not just standard cheeses you get from a grocery store, but really unique things. Um, it really makes a difference. And it really there's a story behind it, so to speak, um, which is interesting. I think I'm guessing that your your company is bringing not just the products, but also the story about the products to everybody. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about cheese to anyone who will stand still long enough um, if yeah. they want to hear about it. Uh, yeah. Certainly, people come in and they don't. You know, that's part of the challenges too. Is they we're in a kind of consumer society where we want to come in and buy the thing and then leave, which I, I do myself in respect, but uh, yeah. part of our business, you know, for better or for worse is kind of creating that, that conversation with our customers. Um, whether if it's just the first time and they're just really curious about what we're doing or, you know, a, a lot of folks come and they're very intimidated. You see all these cheeses and there's yeah. you know, hundreds of them. And <laughs> I, you know, I just like cheddar, man. That's right. So we, yeah, we, we try to, to educate in a very, um, you know, matter of fact way. We, we try very, very hard to, to not be pretentious cheesemongers. Um, but we, we really enjoy kind of educating the consumer about the cheese and, and then learning about them and their palates and kind of helping them expand that over time and suggesting new things to them, helping mm -hmm. them get outside their comfort zone and their culinary boundaries, maybe just little by little, um, you know, until they find themselves a little bit more adventurous eaters. But we, we really do, I like to say, we really do have something for everybody. You know, we have staple cheeses that you would cook with. Um, and then we have, you know, high-end artisanal cheeses that are lovingly, you know, made in tiny batches. We have Kind of the whole gamut but we really focus on things that are not and historically have not been available 
um, or readily available in, in this part of the country. And so I think part of that um, exclusivity, if you will, uh, has, has really helped us too. Because yeah, and your point about we've got, having, we've got the goods. <laughs> well, yeah, and the, the big thing is you point out that it's not just what I call the standard products that I can go get somewhere else in a grocery store. It's really a broader set, which is really a challenging thing to do. I remember the first time I went to Europe and I started going into stores over there, and it's like, what's this? What are all these other things that I'd never seen in my country uh, as I'll call it different varieties and types of cheeses? And in those days, there weren't a lot of people many years ago importing all that stuff. But today, it sounds like you're opening up the doors in Arkansas, at least, you know, to that kind of an experience, which is a big deal. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so help me out. Who within your market, which is, I guess, everybody in um, the larger area of Northwest Arkansas, um, what kinds of uh, customers do you wind up servicing? I assume it's mostly retail families and stuff like that and uh yes and uh wholesale is that what you're kind of asking and in, in terms yeah of yeah who else right who who really buys from you so to speak is yeah. it companies is it wholesalers is it food service places is it somebody right. like me walking in trying to surprise my wife with something strange yeah you know, that she's never tasted before um, yeah it's the bulk of the bulk of our customers are uh just retail consumers that come in and want to buy cheese for themselves um, but we also do, uh, towards the holidays, especially a lot of corporate gifting. Um, yeah. And then we also uh, dabbling into online sales a little bit. I know that's the future and here we go. Um, but mainly it's uh, on-site, you know, consumer sales. And then we also have a growing uh, market of wholesale customers, um, mainly not food service, but uh, uh, chefs and uh, everything from, you know, breweries to small, oh. you know, tea houses and, uh, you know, everybody for the most part loves cheese. So um, when you look at, in a sense, expanding, I'll call it the online side of a business on your end, um, it's really going out, is it going out to your website, looking at the catalog and picking from that and then having an ordering system for that? Uh, so currently we, we have online that is uh, for pickup at our location, and then we have also other locations in Northwest Arkansas that are partners. Uh, mm. So we we carry their products, um, they carry ours, um, and and we do that kind of curbside pickup or in store pickup only at this point. Although uh, we do, you know, people will call us all the time and beg us to ship things, and we we certainly do. So we've started to do that. We work with other organizations as well um, that do online virtual events. Um, and okay. we, we do a lot of shipping with those sorts of organizations too. So really the next step, I think for us to, to really expand, um, you know, we're, like you were saying, our, our radius essentially is going to be Northwest Arkansas mainly, although we do get a lot of visitors from the surrounding areas is to, you know, if we really want to expand, either we have another brick and mortar location somewhere else, or we tackle kind of that online. And, and that yes, would look as you've described where we would have an online catalog um, a little tricky because what we do is cut the order. Uh, we do have a lot of, you know, individual SKU items, but, um, you know, with UPCs that are roughly a, a given weight in cheese, mm -hmm. um, but we, by and large, are cutting to order uh, for the sizes of the customers. You were open in 2018, building a retail business there, and then COVID comes in a year and a half later, I guess, something like that, and then has an impact. Maybe tell me about where the business was before COVID, what COVID has in a sense changed about the business 
end to end, if you will. And then sure. now that we're moving into a different phase, I mean, even if the pandemic is coming back in a certain way, it's not where it was in 2020, I'll say for sure, from a, a business perspective. So maybe you can give us a flavor for how all that's impacted you and sort of where you're headed from here. From your sure. So, so this October will be three years. So we actually were open shorter for a period of time under normal conditions than we were during kind of COVID conditions. And so I, it's really hard to say, you know, what was normal. It's more just before and during because um, certainly we're not to the after yet. But before we, of course, focused on retail. Uh, we were very slowly building out our wholesale clientele and kind of continued to do that. But it was very small in the beginning. We're very focused on retail, um, focused on um, classes here at the shop um, and yeah. some other partner locations, but mainly here. We have a, a dining room. Uh, that's very small. We were also doing food and we still continue to do this, but um, in a different way, but we were doing in-store dining as well. Uh, you know, wine by the glass and glorious cheese plates, and then doing uh, kind of those classroom settings in the same area. COVID came, it was too small really for us to meet spacing requirements um, when we were able to reopen uh, for that food service area. And so we immediately just shut it down. Initially we thought maybe temporarily, but it's definitely permanent now. We converted it to dry storage and really leaned into diversifying our food, grocery, gourmet section. Um, so it really helped us do that because we just need more space, kind of bursting at the seams here. Um, and it kind of allowed us to do other things like shipping projects and such that we wouldn't have been able to do before. Um, so yeah, it's kind of helped us branch out in different ways and, and uh, we still continue to do food to go, but uh, it's into kind of the greater market area. So we're, we're part of a large food market where there are many you know, diverse businesses here, but most of them rooted in culinary. Uh, and so folks can walk around and um, enjoy food from different locations. Uh, our, uh, you know, we, we had a couple of uh, different methods of alcohol sales. So we had on-premise permitting here, you know, wine by the glass, uh, which essentially stopped completely. Yeah. Uh, and we started focusing a little more on our off-premise um, as people were more apt to buy a hunk of cheese and take the bottle of wine and go home. Um, we're seeing kind of a mix of everything happening now. Um, we, we now are what's known as an entertainment district and that just got passed this last week. So um, I think that's really going to help us kind of return to that. Um, and, and help us boost some of those sales uh, while still maintaining, you know, now our dining room, uh, you know, come bulk area. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really going to help us kind of explore what's the next step for us. Um, well, yeah, it's so. interesting because it, it sounds like COVID forced you into some changes sure. that wouldn't have happened automatically. Absolutely. But on the other hand, what's happened as a result of that, you actually took a closer look at um, how to open up these other markets with wholesale and, as you say, chefs and so on, some of those contacts and broadened out your product line. So all those are good right. things, obviously. There's no reason yeah. to get rid of those. It's just hopefully the opportunity mm -hmm. to do more on the retail side comes back as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the wholesale here, uh, of course, like other places in the country, was uh, basically down to zero as other restaurants that we were supplying to. To, um, completely closed and then tentatively started up again and um, you know trying to reconfigure perhaps their menu to to work out kinks of what made more sense for a COVID world um, so we're seeing a lot of that wholesale business return we did a lot of events you know off-site on-site events um, you know 
know, hosting private parties and such, and more, mm -hmm. like I said, in-person classes, you know, that, of course, none of that happened. Um, everything you know, went from, yeah. from whatever to zero. And we, we determined uh, virtual classes were really the way to go. So we jumped on that as quickly as possible. And if we'd all, you know, just invested in Zoom, right, in uh, yeah, yeah. 2018. Um, but uh, kind of realized that that was a way for us to reach other people. So our, our dining room, very small. We could cram maybe 20 people in here max. But with virtual, it's unlimited. So we can reach many more people. And uh, folks tend to have, I think, a really great time because they can participate as much as they want. There's no pressure for them, you know, to... to get gussied up and come to the cheese shop um, right, you know right. and uh, be embarrassed by direct questions so tell me um, a little bit more about from a business perspective it's sort of I understand the products a little bit the market how you've come about and everything else uh, anything about um, I'll call it sustainability initiatives that have impacted you in any way yeah, sure. So kind of from day one, we wanted to try and be as sustainable as possible. Uh, we, we were very, very fortunate to have a company based here in Northwest Arkansas called Food Loops, and uh, they are a great supplier of compostable and eco containers. And so we mm -hmm. uh, almost exclusively use all of their products. Um, and A Street Market here has been a big proponent of, uh, you know, recycling and composting. And, and so we have all of that kind of at our fingertips where the customers can take those products and put them in the appropriate bins. Um, you know, most of our, our cheese paper and other things are uh, compostable as well. There's a few things, you know, that aren't, but we really, we really try to focus on zero waste. Um, we also, you know, are able to minimize our cheese wastage as well. Uh, we keep very close you know, close look on expiration calendars and um, how we essentially can move cheese in, in creative ways, perhaps, um, or, you know, focus on those cheeses uh, that need to find homes. You know, there are little orphans and they, they need love too. Um, and just, you know, maybe focusing on those with customers as well. So again, pre-COVID a little bit easier, but we're a try before you buy model, which means that the customers can come to us and, you know, if they are curious about a cheese and we can give them a sample. And I feel like a sample is worth a thousand descriptors. We, we of course can talk about the cheese maker and the history and the story behind the cheese and how the cheese is made and, you know, the animals and et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, if we, we get it to them in their mouths and it's delicious and they love it, then that really, that's it. That, hmm. Yeah, that speaks wonders in volumes. Well, it's interesting because you have this product that is very um, quote, unique. So there's a standard part of the product we're all familiar with. You know, my I'll call it orange cheese, my cheddar, my you know standard Swiss that I pick up off the supermarket shelves as my slices or whatever. But when you get into all the variations that you have, it is unique. And there is, as you say, a big story around it. Um, you are packaging kits. Have you thought of, in a sense, putting together, you know, quote, it sounds stupid, I'll say something like the history of cheese kits, where mm. you can say, hey, here's a kind of a cheese, whatever it is, a soft cheese or whatever it is. And you, you do have to worry about packaging it, but being able to ship those out in a sense, um, you know, yeah. to people and say, hey, you don't just get, I'll call it a, a half pound of cheese or whatever it is, as you said, your little wards or whatever, you get a mix of product, if you will, and a history that goes along with it. It's pretty neat to build a, try to build a base, if you will, of people that want to come back just to learn more, not just to sample cheese, but even to learn yeah. more about different cheeses. So absolutely. Funny. Yeah, we definitely have customers that come in and, and they want an education and they want to take their time um, to, to learn from us, which is really great.
Um, yeah. So we're happy, happy to do it. Yeah. And I've certainly in the past, we've taught classes about the history of cheese and cheese vote 101. We always kind of rope that into as well, which is very popular and, you know, history of cheese in America and history of cheddar, et cetera. There's, there's really a lot behind it. It's, it's such a, such an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, so another topic that is important in uh, quote, the food supply chain for everybody, not just the pandemic and the supply chain disruptions that everybody's had, but also we have that new Food Safety Modernization Act that was passed by Congress that is becoming, it comes into effect in 2024. It affects the entire food supply chain. And so when we think of things like that, um, it adds additional responsibilities to everybody in the food supply chain. And that says uh, not only things like sanitation and food handling practices, but also things like challenges like the recalls on product, you know, the ability to support that. So, you know, my experience is similar to everybody else's in the US that we all remember when stores didn't have romaine, uh, romaine lettuce for, I guess it was like uh, four months or something back in, I think it was 2017 or whatever, all because we didn't have any way to do recalls at that point. So any thoughts on how um, you're impacted um, by about the food safety challenges? Sure, yeah. Um, I, having started out in the cheese making world, um, uh, well, really starting out in engineering and then going into uh, the cheese making world and then here we are in the retail world. Um, I'm really focused on problem solving and um, really doing things by the book <laughs> and then the yeah. engineering background kind of bleeding through. Uh, but as a cheese maker, I, I did go get uh, certified as a PCQI, um, probably the first person in Arkansas for dairy specific um, because I had to go up to Penn State. They were the, I think, only people in the country doing it at the time for dairy specific. And um, it was it was really interesting to, to be a part of that. And then shortly thereafter, you know, again, changing to read um, but having that focus and kind of understanding what was happening or where it was going was very, very valuable, um, you know, to being on this side, which maybe not all retailers, you know, were prepared for kind of seeing right. that, that happening. So um, I feel very fortunate to have that education um, and those resources. And um, we're, we're extremely stringent here about food safety. I said we, we do everything you know by the letter but uh, recalls have always been you know I wrote recall your recall plan for sweet freedom creamery you know how, how we were going to recall cheese you know heaven forbid and yeah. I, I certainly saw it happen you know to creameries across the country and um, you know knew you've got to be prepared that's you know the number one there yeah. um, but on the retailer side you've got to be prepared as well especially as we're you know, wholesaling to other customers as well. So we, you know, we do digital tracking um, and everything that comes in gets, uh, you know, recorded in. We're small enough, you know, we don't do that digitally, but everything has, uh, you know, paper documents. We, we take um, every product and make sure that we record all the data that is associated with that. So the event of a recall, and then we get those notices every day from FDA, you know, go down the list, yeah. is there anything? Um, so that we can kind of be a part of that, you know, one step up, one step down as well. Um, so yeah. yeah, very, very, very important um, to do that, uh, even even at the scale that we are, right? We, we owe that to our consumers and our customers. So it, it is a hard thing to do. It's a lot of, sure. the bad news yeah. is, like anything else, unfortunately, it's an overhead cost. It's not, it has nothing to do with the cost of you buying cheese or cutting cheese or selling it to me. It's overhead that you, in a sense, wind up having to, in a sense, uh, pay for, in effect, right. as a price. So the only question I would have is around that. Um, I know, 
Swede Freedom Cheese is not a very large company. It's not like you're the equivalent of Walmart when it comes to automation or anything like that. Right. Um, so <laughs> uh, even though they're just down the road, the bigger thing is, um, are there any technologies that help you at all in trying to manage this stuff that you're- Oh, uh, you know, we as far as recalls, um, it, it, we haven't had to participate in one thing, you know, thank you. Yes. Thank the heavens, the, the cheesy, cheesy gods looking down upon us. Um, but I think, you know, everything, everything is done manually, essentially, whenever we're, we're receiving shipments. So we actually okay. are able to, to put eyes on it, to record those lot codes manually. So someone is always looking at it and is absolutely accountable. And I think also it's very difficult for us because we have so many suppliers, um, you know, small and large. Uh, you know, we work directly with some pe people as well. Um, and so that's, it becomes very challenging when we have lots of deliveries and invoices kind of thrown at us while we're, you know, operating the shop as well. So it's, it's, I think, um, advantageous for us to be able to take a moment to be able to manually look at that shipment, make sure everything looks copacetic to manually record all of that, to put that onto a, you know, a manual calendar that we can keep up with and then, uh, to essentially keep all of those records, um, so I, you know, as small as we are, it doesn't really make sense for us uh, to kind of convert all of that digitally, but I can see how advantageous that would be, you know, for larger yes. companies, absolutely, to streamline yeah. that process. So you bring up another challenge, I guess, in, in the business. As you said, you have lots of suppliers. You don't have a short list. It's not like here's no. the, here, take two hands and put them all on two hands and that's your suppliers. I can imagine how challenging that is. And some of those would be, I'll call it normal companies that you could buy multiple items from, you know, like importers or something like that. But to your point, it sounds like that you're also dealing directly in some cases with individual producers. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And we sell more than cheese, of course. We sell, um, you know, jams and jellies and crackers and chocolates and accoutrements and, you know, all sorts of delicious things. And so we're working with a lot of different suppliers for all of those products, um, you know, outside of even the cheese and the charcuterie. And, and some of it's, as you say, you know, direct, uh, quite a bit of it winds up being direct, but if we can consolidate it, of course, it's much more helpful. And then those distributors essentially um, are doing their checks and balances and we can rely on them versus, you know, us having to do it for every individual supplier. But Sometimes it's just how it is and it works a little bit easier and, you know, well, folks it's really, a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work, but folks want to see, you know, local products as well. And so, you know, we work individually with local suppliers and uh, it adds up. You're right. It's a, it's a big overhead and labor cost too. Um, but well, it's very important. It, I mean, the, well, the great thing is you're getting, you're direct sourcing some stuff, which is really nice. And you get to know who the producers are, sure. what they're, what they can do well and all that. So you're bringing to market something that's not a generic product, which is a huge win in the end for the customer. But it is a lot of work to stay in touch with all of those individual producers for mm -hmm. sure and figure out what, what do you have this month or this week you know, that's fresh and different and whatever else uh, to have to go through that all the time. Cause I'm sure they're all getting hit like everybody else with their own supply chain problems. So if you called me and said, Hey Jim, do you have medium cheddar cheese available? I might've said yes last week, but you better call this week because I may not have it for whatever reason. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you've just kind of got to roll with it, honestly. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Pre, pre small business owner is very adverse to change. I like stability. You know, the engineer yeah. in me wants to circle the answer and that's right. the answer. Uh, yeah. But I've, I've learned a lot and had to 
had to change <laughs> certainly yeah. uh you know who, who i am my personality um in in accepting change and uh having to pivot as quickly as possible for those things so great you don't have that shutter fine let's look for something else uh, or, right i you know yes we we had a lot of products that we were able to get over the past year and and some of them still um you know production as you know cheese just can't automatically you know, magically appear. It's a process, no. especially aged cheeses. Um, right. Yeah, so it takes time. And so a lot of the cheesemakers are starting to see an increase in their supply again, whereas, you know, last year they were essentially pouring milk down the drain in, in some places. And so now they're seeing that happen, but they, you know, it's taking them time to get that inventory built up again. And, um, you know, if they're aging it out in kind of a natural environment, it takes that environment some time to kind of balance back out again. And so we're certainly seeing some shortages there. However, um, I just see, you know, it, it is an opportunity. <laughs> if, if we have to, if we have to be optimistic, which I think we 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 really have to be, um, it's an opportunity, um, you know, versus being kind of uh, pessimistic about the challenges. It's an opportunity for us to look for other suppliers, other producers, or also just to say, well, what are you doing now? Because a lot of those cheesemakers, instead of you know, making ABC what they were doing before and it just essentially wasn't working, they also reinvented the wheel. Maybe they made smaller format cheeses that made more sense for consumers. Maybe they were making fresher style cheeses that didn't require that aging. And maybe they were making, you know, something totally different and it worked for them kind of for the COVID world. And so it's kind of helped us uh, freshen up, you know, some of our inventory too, which is, you know, our customers want a lot of the same cheeses. They want to come in and they, you know, they want that truffle gouda. They, you know, they want yes. that every, every time they come in. We have those mainstays, but we rotate a lot as well. And that's part of that education with the customers is letting them know, you know, cheeses are going to be different. Some of them aren't available every year. You know, it's a seasonal product. Right. Um, the, the goats and the sheep, they don't give milk all year round. And so kind of explaining that to them is very helpful. But again, that's kind of part of that overhead and, and labor and, um, you can't just hire someone immediately and they have all this, you know, glorious cheese knowledge. It, it really takes time. Um, you know, just like a sommelier would build their knowledge. Um, I'm a certified cheese professional um, through the American Cheese Society. And uh, it, you know, it's really, um, you know, not a lot of people know what that is, uh, but it, it's a symbol essentially of kind of the, the cheese knowledge that I hold, but it just can't stop there because there's always new things happening. So you kind of have to constantly be learning and, and trying and, it's really it's a it's a fun industry to be in well it is it sounds interesting it's challenging i mean i know from having had the opportunity to go to stores occasionally like yours that really have a nice variety of things it's phenomenal when you go in there and the samples you can get and i'll call it the experiences and, and learn about different flavors and so on but the thing that's interesting to me is it does sound like uh in a sense <laughs> you're the you're the human version of a, a communication channel across your supply chain because on the one end, you've got to stay in touch all the time with all of these. You have the importers and they may have more of what I call, even though they have some rotation in their own uh, uh, product lines, they at least have some level of predictability maybe uh, for you. But the direct suppliers, maybe it's even more challenging to try to understand that. And on the other hand, you have the consumers like myself who are saying, as you said, I want to buy something. So you're literally trying to become a communication channel on both ends to educate yep. both ends of us to tie us yep. together efficiently for what it's worth. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So communication is a huge part of what you do. Um, honestly, uh, as a business, for sure, tying it all together. Yeah. So, um, so that gave me a good picture of, in a sense, what you're trying to do from a connection perspective. So Sachin, let me ask you, um, 
Do you have any questions that I haven't covered, Sachin, that you want to ask? Uh, no, I think you pretty much covered everything. Uh, the only question probably I had was something to do with the, you know, the trends and the vision in, in, the, in the cheese industry, because I know you do a lot of social media and, uh, you know, marketing stuff. So I just wanted to kind of understand, you know, how are the viewers looking at it? How are the uh, cheese consumers looking at it now and then in the future? You know, because we keep hearing from many people uh, about, you know, information about the food, messaging of, of the food, you know, and, you know, the process to make that and, you know, what are the different uh, nutritional uh, aspects of it? So mm -hmm. maybe if you can build up on that, you know, what sort of feedbacks you get in the, some of those things. Yeah, sure. That's a big, yeah, big question. Uh, so uh, when COVID started, it's very interesting trends. Uh, people were coming in and they were stocking up on more staple cheeses. So hard cheeses um, in larger quantities, you know, buying that chunk of cheddar and that, that you know, chunk of Parmesan and, uh, you know, going home, very quick shopping experiences. Kind of before it was a little more leisurely, like let's try all the cheeses, maybe we'll get a smidgen of this, smidgen of that. Um, but with, with kind of the beginning of COVID, really cheesemakers were seeing um, a lot of soft cheeses uh, not moving. And so there was, there was a lot of cheeses <laughs> sitting in a lot of warehouses, um, essentially, and, and harder cheeses maybe would be able to sustain, you know, some time hanging out, aging out a little bit more, but those soft guys really need to, to move. And so there was a big push um, through you know, through kind of the cheese world of trying to give some love to the softies, essentially. And um, we, we kind of saw that go through and then uh, people kind of came up again. And then I think we were really looking for, um, as consumers, a lot of comfort foods. You know, people were, if you look at, uh, you know, alcohol numbers, alcohol, you know, sales across the United States went up pretty substantially um, as people, you know, were doing that. But also soft cheeses started to go up again as people were looking for something you know again those comfort foods and as we are now it's really it's wildly unpredictable so that's probably one of our biggest challenges um you know before if you'd asked me in 2019 i would have said oh you know natural organic um flavored cheeses uh particularly spicy you know things with peppers those were the cheeses essentially that were the emerging markets um but now you know it's kind of all over the place and um it's and also being kind of hyper local and having that ability to educate consumers um, social media has a huge power. We, we started creating uh, what we called pantry boxes um, with kind of some staple foods in it because I don't know about you guys, but even in our area, some staple foods like, you know, people were going, you know, cuckoo for sourdough, um, you know, bread was kind of hard to find, milk was kind of hard to find, eggs were kind of hard to find. And so we actually started creating these boxes that always had local milk, local bread, you know, different kinds of cheeses and then some accompaniments. And it helped us essentially move product, but also introduce kind of interesting products to our consumers. So we, we really liked doing that. It was fun. And so we kind of continue to do that now. And we use that as an opportunity to educate the consumers, but we'll feature, you know, some of the cheeses uh, on Facebook and Instagram. We will absolutely have people come in, you know, even weeks later, oh, you know, I, I don't want that box, but I saw that cheese and, um, you know, I want some of that and they you know don't know anything about it other than they saw it on social media and they really really want to try it and take some home um so it's it's really interesting um kind of in the middle of covid too we call it you know the great feta um oh what can i jokingly call it here um 
the, the great feta TikTok phenomenon of uh, 2020. Uh, we, we sold more feta than you know, we normally would. And it was very confusing. Uh, you know, feta is a staple product and you know, there's a lot of different varieties out there, but people would come in and want feta and that's what they would buy and they would leave. It was very unusual. And then suppliers started running out of feta and I, you know, is um, a little bit older, I think, than the average TikTok user, perhaps. Um, you know, but my staff is a bit younger, and uh, we all started realizing that this trend was happening with feta on TikTok, and it just exploded, and it wiped out essentially large parts of the country of feta. Period, um, which was really, really just a bizarre phenomenon. And and how do you predict for that? How, how on earth, you know, do you predict for something like that happening? You have some influencers that just make you know this really yummy looking pasta and uh and then people go nuts for it and everyone sells out of feta it's yeah. um it's interesting like, yeah so now it's you, like uh, elon Musk talking about dogecoin and boom the price of dogecoin kind of going yeah. high <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so again it's you know it's it's hard to predict what the kind of um new trends specifically for cheeses are um we kind of have main is in our case that we we definitely track um, compared to what we started with our inventory in 2018. It's very different than what you know we have now. As consumers ask for things, you know we bring them in and we really try to rot we have that advantage of being able to rotate things. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, you know then we won't bring it in or we won't bring it in for another period of time. And then maybe we'll try it again. And certainly things that didn't work in 2018, we've tried again and people love it now. So it's just kind of, I think, building that consumer clientele um, that is willing to maybe try some of the weirder stuff um, mm -hmm. or being able to explain to them, you know, how to use it. And when we, when we put things out there in the world, whether it's the pantry boxes or social media or newsletters that are kind of meal based. So if we have recipes that go along with it, or this is a kit and you have all the things that you need, people really respond to that as well. Certainly, you know, there are folks out there that really want to take the time and cook and are really culinarians and I used to be that uh you know pre yeah pre-business owning um and uh yeah but but most people especially I think with just the fatigue of everything that's gone on for the last few years um really need things to be simplified and kind of a little bit easier but but don't really want to give up um you know that those great uh those great flavors too so if we can kind of package something um that's a whole meal then yeah we've we've seen a lot better response for that well, that sounds brilliant because I would say the market, if you look at it, my son is actually a, mm -hmm. uh, a phenomenal chef. I mean, he's self-trained as, you know, French chef, Italian. He has all these culinary experiences that he's educated himself on. And he's absolutely phenomenal. But the world isn't like that. Most of us are more like me, uh, culinary challenged. We have a hard time making an omelet. And the fact that you can <laughs> say for the 90% of you, like Jim, we've got a plan that says, we're gonna give you the ability that you can do more than just an omelet with just egg in it. You can put something else in there. Right. Um, yeah. You know, with your kids is a phenomenal idea. So we all benefit from that. And what's interesting, you hit another point that was right. When you talked about the fact that you tried something in 2019, it didn't work and you brought it back now and all of a sudden it took off for some unknown reason. Um, I will say, honestly, in my own family, we do the same thing with food. So we'll try something. I did a lousy job cooking it or, or wherever I got it wasn't so good. But then you run out of what I call new experiences, mm -hmm. right? And so you cycle back and a year from now or 18 months from now, somebody's going to bring back the same thing. And you're going to try it again and say, wow, that's, I appreciate that flavor now where I didn't before. So recycling what I call flavors or cycling through them 
uh, over and over again uh, in your, uh, I'll call it food boxes, uh, is a great idea, uh, along with the recipes for those of us that are challenged. That's great. The last thing that you hit that I thought was actually brilliant is going to put you in total control of the entire market now, which, which I think, honestly, is uh, your idea on TikTok. So if you've seen it about the feta cheese, so right. you've seen like, the milk carton challenge and all of those, literally, you can say, I, Jessica, and throwing out a milk carton challenge, who can stand on top of a milk carton and have a pound of cheddar? And so you can make up your own TikTok, what I call uh, programs and uh, challenges and see how well, well they go. But you're right, there's a lot of power to social media done right. And the fun part about it is when people do what I call these crazy activities, like those TikTok challenges, if you make them what I call safe, but creative in a way, um, there is a chance to get what I call high engagement and in a sense, have a, a quote, a big spread of those messages into a market, which is kind of neat. So I think it sounds like all the power is back in your hands now with social media. <laughs> you can overcome anything. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, we need to create a, a TikTok channel, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. One of the thing, uh, you know, one of the interesting thing is like cheese, you know, uh, when I was little, you know, the first time we got exposed to was the Indian cheese, which is called the paneer. Yeah. It, it is a, it's a cheese which has very low shelf life. So mm -hmm. pretty soft cheese, you know, so that's what we grow up eating. And uh, that's one of the like the, the premium food kind of you can have. Uh, and I, I made it myself. One, one, one question I want to just squeeze in is in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the variety of cheese, global use of cheese. I mean, how, how are the consumers looking at cheese? Has it changed? Are they only looking for the, the, the American kind of cheese or the European cheese? Or has there some interest built up, you know, in recent days about, sure. you know, what sort of cheese are there? I mean, I have heard about camel cheese. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Camel cheese, donkey cheese. Yeah. yeah. Some strange, strange things out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, the history of cheese in America is a, a long, <laughs> long and storied topic. But essentially, you know, we we weren't creating a lot of farmstead, you know, small creamery cheeses. We were mainly doing, you know, government cheese and large industry kind of commercial cheeses um, until really the late 70s, early 80s when, you know, some scrappy, a lot of them like back to the landers with a few too many goats uh, started making cheese. And, uh, you know, a lot of them went to France and learned, you know, the artisanal, uh, you know, goat making techniques, goat cheese making techniques there and brought that back. Um, but, uh, you know, 1980, 1983, America was not ready for a soft goat cheese, except for, you know, just a few few chefs that were really, I think, willing to to take that risk. And of course, now it's, I mean, everybody takes it for granted, goat cheese on a, you know, salad. It's just, you know, it's, that's average in every day now. But not that long ago, it was a very unique phenomenon. And I, you know, I grew up with, you know, cheese in the house, but we didn't have fancy cheese, you know, in southern, southern Arkansas. I was aware, perhaps, of some other cheeses, but um, you know, I grew up on, uh, you know, pre-sliced and pre-shredded stuff. And occasionally, you know, we'd have the fancy cheese ball, but, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't having any sort of accessibility to kind of fine cheeses really made in the U.S. It, it hadn't made its way into Arkansas, you know, in the 80s by any means. And then um, really until uh, you know, the last couple of decades, we've, you know, started to see that um, happening a lot more. A lot of creameries essentially are starting or widening their distribution network as people are becoming more open to it. And a lot of it you know, started at farmer's markets and uh, has widened out from there. I think our palate certainly 
have been changing. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And not, not really all that long ago. <laughs> All right, I want to thank you, Jessica, for coming into uh, Future Foodcast, and uh, I want to encourage the audience uh, to go out to sweetfreedomcheese.com and learn much more about cheese and much more about what Jessica's team is offering uh, for both products and services. Um, so definitely, if you're interested in finding out more about cheese, that is definitely the right place to go. So with that, I want to thank everybody and uh, look forward to uh, having all of you join me in a uh, cheese challenge on TikTok at some point, so. Terrific, <laughs> I look forward to it. All right. Thanks for having me so much, it's such an honor. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 